0: Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer from Cat Swamp Road. You're probably tired of hearing that already. But I want to thank you so much for tuning in today, for clicking in, or whatever you do. And uh, hopefully uh, you enjoy the show as much as I enjoy being with you here. Even though you could only hear me, I, could, I know that you guys are listening, and that does my heart very 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 well i guess that's not even a proper word. it does my heart good is probably the intelligent way to say it so uh we had a little we got a little bit of a heat wave here not too much not like it is out in the out west but it's uh it's supposed to be about 96 today 97 i'll see what the weather station says later on had uh the about, since I got with you last, we were blessed with 0.88 inches of rain. So uh, we did get some rain, and the corn welcomed that. It's actually it's actually looking pretty good what came up, if that makes sense. If you're a farmer, you'll understand what I'm talking about. And uh, as I said before, my last planting, the ninth planting, is not uh, certainly not picket fence, but... What is there looks pretty good. The previous ones, the earlier ones, look pretty good. But who knows? Let's say uh, you know it's like the Indy five hundred. Until you run the last lap, it makes no difference. And I know that uh, up in Western Canada, I heard that. Uh, if I have the chance, if I'm on the road, I listen to Sean Haney show on Sirius XM uh, Real Agriculture. And uh, he's got he's got a good sh- he's got a good show. And uh, if I'm out and about, I will listen to it. And I'll listen to Ag PhD, and I'll listen to uh, what's it another one from Farm Journal. But uh, but obviously, if I'm working and and doing a show or writing, I can't listen to the radio. So so it, that's basically when I am either in the field through my cell phone, I can get Sirius XM, or in the car. So. But I guess some out in Western Canada, where he's located. I think he's in Alberta, but don't hold me to it. He may be in Saskatchewan. I'm not that knowledgeable about the Western Canadian provinces, and I know that they're beautiful, beautiful country. I have a number of listeners there in British Columbia, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, but I've never been there. I've always wanted to go there. I've been to, you know, south of there in the Western the northwestern part of the united states near the canadian border but i've never really been through those provinces and i would love to uh, to go there one day and take a ride all the way across canada start on the east coast and do a cross-country run like i would do in the united states but um from what i understand is that some areas got hit terribly terribly with a hailstorm and uh I know how devastating that can be in anybody who is a farmer. And, and sadly, that usually comes when you have the nicest crop. It's not like where it comes, where it, you, you, you have a marginal crop, and not that you're ever happy to lose a crop. But uh, see, that hail damage is really, uh, really unbelievable. And the, if the hail hits the proper way, and you were a, a lay person, being a lay person not familiar with agriculture, you would think a, a, a Cuisinart went through there the way it grinds up the corn It's amazing how hail could take six foot high, six foot high corn and grind it up to look like a like it's a salad so terrible So our prayers have to go out to those people and out in the western United States it's so hot I saw on, on RFD TV that every place in Oklahoma the other day was going to be at least a 110 degrees and that's real temperature that's not this uh, feels like 110 like they have here in New Jersey but that is that and hopefully god willing things are hanging in where you are but on a more positive note i want to thank mr kevin flood f-l-o-o-d excuse me and mr flood reached out to me and he gave me my first pin in the map in england in the united kingdom and i know i have listeners there in the united kingdom you know it's interesting because I guess to a certain extent, as an aside to this, that with the podcast, even though it goes out to diff- it goes out to my podcast, goes the show goes out to many different platforms or podcast hosting sites, and the way it's the way my, I guess it's a hosting company. I don't even know what you would really call it. I mean, this is this is I'm just a content generator. Susan takes care of all of that, but uh, but anyway, it you could tell where people are listening from. Uh, and that's how I know that I have listeners now in 87 countries there's 83 countries but th- those are only the people who come directly to my website to listen so humbly I'm saying I may have listeners in, I, in more countries than that and it doesn't like I said I'm saying it humbly but what happens is that you could go and some of you listen right at farmmachinerydigest.com and, and, and subscribe from there, or just don't even subscribe, just go to it and click on it. But if you go, let's say, to Google Podcasts, or I don't there's so many, I don't even know. I mean, we're on six or seven, or whatever the major platforms are. Interestingly enough, the way my analytics is set up is that I don't register those. So, I don't know where they're listening so so anyway, but I know I have listeners in England, but now I have my first pin in my map, and he, Mr. Uh, Flood, and I hope I don't kill his the name of his town. it's calcott c o l. C A L C O T Calcut, and I spoke to my friend Victor Moore, which is Sue Moore's husband, and he's he's from he lived all over the British Empire. He lived in England, he lived in uh, he, he, England, Australia, New Zealand, I think someplace in Ireland, and some someplace else. So, so he told me that I was going to pronounce it Berkshire, but it's it's Berkshire. He told me so. It's Calcut West Berkshire, England and Mr. Flood listens from there, and he also uh, reads me in Heming's Muscle Machine, so I want to thank you so much, Mr. Flood, and thank you for my pin in my map, so you means you're going to get into that contest to be a, a potential winner of a Hot Rod Farmer license plate, and Mr. Flood has a 1929 Ford Model A Sport Coupe, and he has a 2000, chevy chevy i put my hand in front of my mouth that's not good chevy s10 extreme extended cab with a 4.3 so those are two very very different type of vehicles so it seems that mr flood has a very eclectic um uh, interest in cars and i'm sure he maybe even has something else so i reached out to him and he is also an animal lover so uh, i sent him a uh a picture of the banner that we have up for donald so i want to thank you mr flood for giving me my first pin in the map in Berkshire, west Berkshire, excuse me england and i did not get a chance today to do another to pull two names out of the hat the metaphorical hat for hot rod formal license plate giveaway so i will have to make sure i do that next week this week kind of got out of control with me and got snuck up and uh, i've been blessed to pick up from I, I don't want to say it that way because that doesn't that doesn't give it the respect that i should that i that i mean to give it but i'm honored that the fent tractor fent equipment division of agaco is coming on board and being a sponsor of the radio show and the website and possibly doing something on the podcast so i'm going to uh, go down to georgia and i'm going to do a couple of shows for the radio show with them about under the getting to know theme of getting to know their new momentum planter which is unbelievable even though it's not planting season and their rogator sprayer which has a uh, has a, it's like an old citroen you could raise, raise it up and down and i don't know if anybody knows what the old remember the old citroens had a pneumatic suspension you could raise them up and down increase the ride height and then lower the ride height and then they are also their uh their tractor line and their ideal combine so we're going to be doing some shows about that so you my audience and as i always said i do those shows on the sirius xm radio uh for machinery digest radio so my radio radio in the same sentence that uh, it's, and I call it getting to know because it's important, or I feel it's important to have a transfer of knowledge, not a sales pitch, but a transfer of knowledge about a piece of equipment that you may potentially be interested in. So that is what it's uh, it about. So I have to go down to Georgia. And I'll be down in Georgia and see, tour their facility and check out some of this equipment. And then I, I like to try to do those shows when it po- when possible, what I call belly to belly. I think they come out better than over the telephone. But if it has something has to happen over the telephone, we will do our best to make it work, right? And make it the best we possibly can for the best content. So anyway, what I'm leading up to here is this week's show, what I'm doing, this title chatter show and uh had an interesting week as i started to say uh with a bunch of different things going on getting ready to go to georgia i needed to <coughs> service my fiesta and uh, get the oil changed and we'll change the oil and uh, clean the mass airflow sensor clean the throttle body and look it over for the uh for trip for trip down to georgia <coughs> but i excuse me i'm just gonna clear my throat for a second hit that dragster Hello, I'm back, and then, um, but I'm really just like off kilter today, and and, then I'm talking like a, like, I don't know what I'm (laughs) I'm talking, I can't form a sentence, I'm talking like Joe Biden, so I needed to service my air conditioner. And I've always preached to everyone that, and I have a question today, a reader, a listener's letter, actually it's a reader's letter from Hemmings, but I wanted to convey it or use it because I think it brings good value to you once again, like I did last week. But I'm a big proponent, I've always preached that the need to to service the air conditioner on all your equipment. So I wanted to service my AC unit on my Fiesta because it must have lost some refrigerant, it's not free on its uh uh R one thirty four A. And you know, keep in mind that it's normal for a system that to to slowly over time lose some refrigerant. And then last probably the end of last summer, a couple of times I was I was on a road on the road with it and it ended up I it it ended up icing it iced up the evaporator. So and historically, that is a sign of the refrigerant being low, and it was inconsistent. So, on certain times, it would ice up. You'd run it for maybe an hour or two at highway speeds, and it would ice up the evaporator. And then, when the when the evaporator ices up, then what will happen is that the duct temperature will start to climb, and the volume of air coming out of the duct will decrease. And then, if you then if you were to shut the pull over on the side of the road and open the hood, you'd see that the um, that the low pressure line would be all all iced up going into the uh, evaporator so it would be all frosted over and be ice on the outside and then <clears throat> and then what you do is shut the shut the system down let it defrost and interestingly enough it was um it would be very very inconsistent and that's what made me think at that particular point that it was a cycling switch problem, that it wasn't cycling the unit on and off. And that's why I was icing up the evaporator. But as an aside to that, I was very neglectful as far as never changing, never changing the cabin air filter. And the reason why I never change a cabin air filter, because this was the first vehicle that had a cat that I have that had a cabin air filter. Everything I had before that didn't have a cabin air filter. And so I kind of forgot about it, right? I mean, I'm human, so I'll forget about it. I said, oh, geez, it's got a cabin air filter. And I didn't think that the cabin air filter was dirty, was plugged for the simple reason being is that the car has 200, I don't know, 15 or 216,000 miles. And believe it or not, I still have the original air filter in it. And I've told you that before, I could take that air filter out, and it's look. I mean, you could practically put it back in the box. I wouldn't say a hundred percent now. Probably about forty or fifty thousand miles ago, you could put it back in the box. It's getting a slightly discolored, but but it, it, it's 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 fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. So I said to myself, with all the if all the air that this engine ingested, it whatever two hundred thousand something, two hundred fifteen thousand miles. Didn't plug the air filter. Well, the cabin air filter is ingesting less air than that because it's not it's not it's not going to move as much air as the engine at three thousand RPM. And if that's not dirty, the cabin air filter must not be dirty. And because I did some research of where the cabin air filter was, and it was strictly an afterthought from Ford. So I said, this looks like a nightmare, and uh, you know whether time creeps up on you and you don't do it and then the uh, the summer ended and we went into fall what have you so so to get back on track with this the problem i was having with the fiesta air conditioner was that it was inconsistently starting to to ice up and i would and i couldn't quantify in my mind whether it had to do with a level of humidity whether it was an ambient temperature and or a combination of both I mean, it would happen you'd have to run it probably on the highway for an hour and a half two hours before it would ice up and but you'd go do the same trip a week later in similar conditions and it wouldn't ice up and that's why i thought maybe it was the cycling switch that was that was uh, not functioning and you would have it cycle that it wouldn't cycle on and off and that's why it would ice up now interestingly enough back you there's a learning element here that's why i'm telling you the story but interestingly enough back years ago on gm four-cylinder applications they came out with something called ccai controlled compressor at idle and what they did was they they overrode electrically the cycling switch so when the engine was idling that the compressor would not cycle on and off and the reason why they did that is that they felt that it would be too much of a customer dissatisfaction because you'd hear the engine speed drop and then recover, and you'd feel a load come on. So, they wanted if you had the air conditioner on, they wanted it to remain constantly on at idle. And then, once you went off idle, it would override that CCAI system and then it would go through its cycling routine so it would cycle based upon usually the the low side pressure the gm had a high side pressure switched as a safety device but it cycled based upon the low side pressure so when the pressure pulled so low uh when the pressure got so low it would then cycle off and then it would let it creep back up and cycle back on and that's why when the system was when the system is low on freon, they all basically work the same way i don't know if they have them wired up the same anymore that if it cycles very quickly on off on off on off that's indication even years ago back all back in the 60s that it was low on refrigerant i said freon but i should have said refrigerant so the fiesta it was so inconsistent, then I got into fall and whatever. So this, this year, I you'd know, run the air conditioner, and I said, geez, you know, it's time for me to service it, and the reason why you service it is because you want to get the moisture out of it, so the moisture doesn't mix with refrigerant to create acid, and then ruin the whole system. So I uh, went to my friend Roy in Hackettstown, and the, he has a shop there, they said to him, "Yo, I want to... Do the, do the air conditioner up on the Fiesta. I got to go down to Georgia. It's, and, and this year, the past couple of weeks, it started to ice up almost on a regular basis. And, the, and even when it didn't ice up, the, the discharge temperature wasn't that good. It was okay, but it wasn't, usually it would freeze you out. And so I said to myself, well, the most important thing is I'm going to service the air conditioner regardless, but I need to check that cabin air filter. And whoever designed that should <laughs> get their head examined. So that was a bit of a a nightmare to get that out, and I pulled the cabin air filter out, and other than tearing it, getting it out because it's so jammed in there, it really was not dirty at all. So my assumption that if it didn't dirty the air filter, it didn't dirty that, but you know, dirty little secret, I didn't put another one in because I am not laying underneath that dashboard (laughs) again uh in the heat no i had to put a fan in there then the kittens are coming in the kittens are climbing on my head and it was just a, it was not a pleasant surprise a pleasant deal and i said what a jerky thing you have a filter that you want to serve that's supposed to be serviced, and then you uh, uh, forget about it we won't even go there so well, i wanted to check that first because obviously if the air if the filter is plugged and i'm starving air against or, or get across the evaporator that it's going to have an adverse effect also so uh, I spoke to Roy and said, come, he says, come on down Wednesday and we'll do the... I said, the I could do it myself, I said, just show me the machine. Well, when I had my shop and my friend Gene Worst, if you're listening, you, you were there the day the guy delivered my air conditioner charging station. And this was back in 1988. And I, that thing was gorgeous. It was through Napa, but it wasn't a Robinair. if you have the name of the company. It was state of the art because back then people had a a vacuum pump and as a manifold gauges and it was it, it, so this thing was stated you had an electronic scale in it it had um you know oil you put in beautiful beautiful unit and gene was there the day that the man delivered it and was going to train me on it so, I loved that air conditioned charging station. And back then, this was the cat's meow. This was this, that the was, was really people come to, wow, man, look at that thing you got there. Wow, blah, blah, blah. And they did a lot of air conditioner work with it. And it was just, But it was not a recovery station. Back then, you just dumped a ref- on the Freon, the R12 into the, into the atmosphere. So, I said DeRoy. You know, I could do it myself, just give me the machine. I mean, I'll pay you, I don't care. But if you're busy, says, no, no. I said, it's so easy, I'll set it up for you. So, well, he's got this new, well, it's a couple of years old, this new snap-on recovery ACs. The thing is unbelievable. It made my unit that I had years ago look like Fred Flintstone had it. I mean, this thing was unbelievable because obviously it's a recovery station also, so it takes out the but it even... I, I'd like to study that machine and find out. Can maybe get the, the the manual for it or something, because it was able to determine when it took it out how much oil it took out, and um, so I don't know if that's accurate or not. But you know when and where my machine used to bleed would discharge the system very slowly because if you discharge the system too quickly you pull oil out with it. So sort if of you go and then you're gonna pull the oil out with it, but, but in theory, back years ago, if you discharge it slowly, I'm not gonna say you never took any oil out, but you would take some oil out. So the rule of thumb was to maybe put an ounce of oil in. Back years ago, but the systems were larger. But anyway, but what was interesting about this machine is I didn't, I didn't know. I was always taught, I mean, I was taught by General Motors. It's, it's 30 inches. The vacuum for 30 minutes, and the clock starts. When it gets down to 30 inches so if it takes 10 minutes to pull it down to 30 inches then a vacuum and the reason why you're doing that for those that aren't familiar is because you want to boil off the moisture that's in the system because water will boil at 54 degrees fahrenheit in a 30 inch vacuum so you're actually boiling it off so the thing is that to get it down to 30 inches depending upon how large the system is and how much moisture in it is in it is going to predicate how long it takes to get down to thirty inches. So if you had my little Fiesta versus a, whatever a big Suburban or Expedition or, or something like that, it's going to take much longer to pull that big system down to thirty inches than it would my system, even if they both had the same amount of moisture. But so you, so it, so what you're looking at with these things is you're trying to get a feel for and. Um, I think they say that it should take. Uh, I, I don't know anymore. I think to should say uh, one inch, one inch every, or ten inches a minute or something. I I don't. Re- I, I take that back because I don't remember. But you get a feel for it, right? You, you feel that you read the tea leaves. So, but interestingly enough. So I didn't know whether I said, "Roy, I want to pull this thing down for thirty minutes." You know, for thirty minutes, once it gets to once it gets to thirty inches. Oh yeah, yeah. so "You just program it in here." Well, the thing is all automatic, and it pulled it for twenty-seven minutes, which is fine. I mean, I'm not going to. I mean, it's a hundred percent fine. But what, even though it's as, and maybe it has a different program in it, or you could override that. I honestly don't know. But it only took two or three minutes, if even that, for my system to took the refrigerant out to pull it down to 30 inches so that was uh, quite quite good quite fast and uh but in essence if the clock started right when it when the vacuum pump went on so the old general motors thing it was close to 30 and 30 i mean if it was my machine i would try to figure out how you could override it but this thing is all automated. It's like a washing machine. You just you just hook it up, press the buttons, and tell it how much refrigerant it needs and how much oil. It's the PAG oil in this one, and it does the whole thing by itself. So I stood there and watched. But quite quite amazing. And what it did tell you is that how much refrigerant it took out. So according according to this, according to that scale if it's correct it said that it took out my system takes 19 ounces so one pound three ounces in the fiesta then it took out if i remember correctly 11 ounces so the thing is that it was down eight ounces which is quite a bit so it did it did uh lose quite a bit over the past few years with no visible signs of leaks so but like i said it's getting old so who knows We'll have to keep our eye on it, but the, the air conditioner works beautifully after that, so that's all that's good, and I'll probably do it again next year at Roy's. Now I have to do my wife's, so I am going to say her fiesta, her uh, escape. So um, it's air conditioner service time, and for those of you who have not serviced your air conditioners, please do that because you want to make sure that you do not allow, not only for efficiency, you do not want to allow the creation of that asset. But anyway, so now I said, "Well, I got to change the oil. I'm going to look the car over, get them ready to go to Georgia, and clean the mass airflow sensor, clean the throttle body." And today's show is probably just more about observations than it is anything. It doesn't have a specific a specific tone to it, but uh, so I'm going to struggle with a title for it when we list the podcast. But anyway, so I did my normal routine as I, you know, I checked the air filter; still looks good i took the inlet duct off and i uh, you know sprayed the throttle plates and cleaned them open them up you know with this drive-by-wire stuff you really can't you have to use your finger or a screwdriver or something to push it to open up the throttle plates and i cleaned the throttle plates and the throttle plates in that car stay very very clean and on a lot of the newer cars if they don't have egr i should say newer engines not cars that they stay pretty clean because if they do have egr and you the egr has to be administered right after the throttle plate so it has an equal distribution in all the cylinders so it has to go through the plenum to all the cylinders to the runners so that's why the throttle plates get very dirty on a lot of applications i'll say because if they put egr the egr needs to be there and this engine believe it or not does not have egr so uh the throttle plates but they still do get they still do get a little bit dirty but not bad whatsoever but i keep the every oil change i spray clean the throttle body and i also clean the mass airflow sensor with the crc mass airflow sensor cleaner and um what happened is that i went to go drain the oil and the 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 drain plug and if i were to critique that car and it's probably not just that car it's probably all new cars the metal isn't what it used to be and i think we all know that i mean i had um and it doesn't like 12 point sockets or 12 point wrenches so matter of fact you know ever since i got it i was using a, a deep 12 point socket on a breaker bar bar to I keep in the trunk because I don't want to use the stupid little lug wrench they give you and to, you know, take the tires off, rotate tires, what have you. And it's a new socket, so it's a good 12-point socket. And, uh, but I guess, you know, maybe I put it on a little bit of, I'm talking about it over a course of over 200,000 miles, not the first day. And one of the lugs i started to a year or two ago started to i guess booger up is probably a better term the castellations and the lug nuts so I thought this is not good so i got out a six point socket and i put it on there and it's fine so i said well, i'm going to get what i'm going to do is i'm not going to carry the 12 point socket in the trunk with me anymore i'm going to carry a six point socket in a trunk because i don't want to have an issue with these you know with these lug nuts and i bought a bag you have to buy the i think the lug nuts in a bag of four or five you can't buy one lug nut which i understand so i said well i'm going to replace that one lug nut because it's a little bit more rounded the castellations than i felt comfortable with the six point socket works on it fine but i don't want that and i said to myself what i'm gonna do is i'll keep the 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 other three or four whatever's in the bag of new lug nuts and i throw nothing out so that old lug nut is still good so that went in my toolbox but um you know keep those in the trunk so god forbid if i'm ever on the road and something happens that that i need the uh, need a new lug nut i might as well have it in the trunk right and um so i did that and over the past couple of times of changing oil I always use the same wrench it's an offset 13 millimeter mac but it's a six point and mac wrench i've had since probably 1988 and the and then again the wrench is not worn so the, the wrench looks good but over the years you know the wrench would kind of cock because when you I'm working on this on my back it's not like I have a lift here so I'm working on my back and so you're jacking the car up and you know if it's winter time you have a, a sweatshirt on and this and that and and it's hard to get under there and I'm not exactly a skinny blink so uh you know over time i probably put the wrench i mean i'm like i put the wrench on an angle i mean i didn't, I didn't round it off i put the wrench on the angle but it's amazing how this the metals these people use today that is very very unforgiving of a couple of times a wrench on angle so but like i said i'm cognizant of that and i try my best to, to not hold not have the wrench cock so when i take the lug, the lung the drain plug off that it's you know it's on their square and i don't chew it up so uh i went to go take it off this time and i said my god i said now i'm the only one who works on this car i mean no one else has touched this car since for 200 something thousand miles and i use the same wrench and everything is the same all right that same wrench I couldn't get the the, the, the damn uh, drain plug over. I said, Who that, what's the what? King Kong come underneath here and tighten it up at night? I said, this is crazy. So then what happened, I was using the same wrench I always use, and then you know, you're, you're, you're laying underneath the car, so you're pushing on an angle, and the wrench slips a little bit. Well, it boogered up the drain plug. I said, wonderful. It boogered up the drain plug. All right, go get the six-point socket now. Let's put a six-point socket on it, and then go in there, and I had to tap the six-point socket on, so I said, okay, this particular point, I just want to get this drain plug out, and we'll cross this bridge uh, after we drain the oil. So I got it, so it, the six-point socket actually, you know how a six-point socket will fix a screw-up with a 12-point wrench? And it, it did it quite well. It kind of recut the castellations <laughs> on the uh, drain plug, and uh, I, you know, it came right, it came right out, but I don't understand how the heck it got so tight because like I said, I'm the, who knows, mysteries of life, and uh, drain the oil, so I said, let me call Ford, and see if they have a drain plug for it, and the gasket, because even though I got this off, and I'll take the six-point socket with me on the road, not that I would change the oil on the road, but I'd rather have it in the trunk with me, all right, instead of in the toolbox back here on the farm, I mean, I'm just, I'm just crazy that way, I'd rather have it a level of preparedness, so uh I call for it and lo and behold, they have a, they have the drain plug with the gasket. So I'm assuming it must be a common drain plug for many, which would only make sense. Why would you want to make twenty seven different drain plugs? So that I don't know if it was common or not. So uh so they said, We we have it. your cost is six dollars. So my wife was uh I think she was going to the gym. Or someplace so i was able to call her i said can you run over to the ford dealer in washington and pick that up and bring it back in this way i don't have to break stride working on the car so she said yeah no problem so she did that and she went and got the drain plug and put then this one was actually made in usa which was fantastic i don't know what the other one was made but it was made in usa so i put that in that's all fine so while i was waiting for her i drained the oil did my little routine you know clean the throttle body clean everything and uh and then She came, put the drain plug in, and they put the oil in and go to, you know, filter, did it, and you go to start the car. And obviously, when you clean, and this is one of the points I'm getting up to, like I said, it's a different type of show today. It's just different observations. It's nothing that's overly uh, dedicated to one particular area. But uh, the way to. the way that manifold is, so you have the you have the throttle body and you have the runners and a plenum and a plenum first, a little plenum and the runners. So when you spray it with throttle body cleaner, it's going to puddle in the runners. And obviously, I don't spray a whole can and flood it, but it's only a 1.6 liter engine, so it doesn't take much for it to flood it with the carburetor cleaner. So that's fine. That's the normal drill. So I go into you know I go to start it. I go to clear flood mode. That's foot to the floor. And what happens if you're not aware, clear flood mode, you know, on a old carbureted engine, clear flood mode was the foot to the floor, right? But a lot of people didn't understand how that worked. What happened on a carburetor, on any carburetor, if the if it had an automatic choke, and you, went f- and you held it to the floor because you flooded it, and flooded mean that the gas wasn't pouring out of the bowl, meant that there was raw gas, unatomized fuel going into the manifold, into the cylinders. When you put your foot to the floor, two things would happen. There would be a choke unloader, that even though it was an automatic choke and the choke plate would be closed, is that when you put your foot to the floor and the automatic choke was evoked and they were all this way, right, it would open up the choke plate. Well, it's, it goes on an arc, so, right, so it's on an arc. So maybe 20 degrees. So it wouldn't be all the way open, but it would be open. So you wouldn't negate the effect of the choke. And remember, the choke doesn't choke air. The choke is impacting the signal on the booster. So that's what it's by having the by having the choke plate closed, it's exposing full cranking vacuum to the booster to pull fuel to rich in the mixture. So it's really not choking off air. People think it's choking off air. Effectively, it is slightly, but it's really it really it works through minimizing or maximize well maximizing the the signal on the booster. Right not letting it bleed into atmosphere, having the choke open. And then if it would, if the engine was warm and you flooded it for some reason, or you cleaned it with carburetor cleaner, like me, right? You clean it. With, I'm talking about carburetors. I don't care what it is. All right, automotive style carburetors. All right, and you and you put it to the floor. What would happen? is that the choke wouldn't be on, but by you opening the throttle plates all the way, you negated almost totally any type of signal to the booster. So the carburetor would not, we use the word pull fuel, it's really a push-pull, the way carburetor works, so it will not pull fuel so basically in essence when you're cranking and you put your and you put your foot to the floor and you hold it to the floor you are killing the signal to the to the booster and it's not going to pull any fuel so that's what you're doing so you're actually shutting off the fuel in a, in a way so that you could try to start it on the fuel that's there the carburetor clean or what have you if it's flooded and that's why i also got a somebody else had contacted me and then and <laughs> About an old 65 Chevy, but whatever. I don't even know why I told you that. But he tells me, you know, most people don't know how to start a carburetor. When you start a carburetor, I don't care whether it's got an automatic choke or a manual choke, hand choke, whatever, you don't whack the throttle because every time you're whacking that throttle while you're cranking, you're killing that booster signal. So if you're flooded, you put the throttle to the floor and then that kills the booster signal so you don't put additional fuel and you try to have the engine start and the the overfueling that's already there from whatever screwed up, all right? And then, but, and and if it's the initial start, you don't want to keep whacking the throttle because not only are you negating the booster signal, you're also opening up the choke plate. So that's a no-no. So if you see somebody, I see so many of these people on the internet or whatever. Not that I watched i much watching these YouTube, and they, you know, I, people think because they got a YouTube channel, they know everything. And I'm not saying that they do or they don't. All right, but you know, if if you're going in to start a '65 Pontiac and you're whacking the throttle to the floor, all you're cranking, and you don't know how to hell to start a carburetor, and you don't know how a carburetor works, you may be a great alternator guy, you may be a great body man, but you have no clue on how any carburetor works all right so that's basically in essence that's the truth so on fuel injection on electronic fuel injection they have a clear flood mode also so if you put the your foot to the floor well obviously there's no booster so you're not killing a booster signal but what you're doing is when the ecu sees five volts and no rpm signal or an rpm signal below let's say usually is a threshold like 400 rpm then what it does is it shuts the injectors off so it does not pulse the injectors and that's clear flood mode so if for some reason you flood an efi engine so you're cleaning it with carburetor cleaner what have you all right the, the throttle pipes like i do and you're doing all that and you and you now it doesn't want to start you put it into clear flood mode so you hold the throttle to the floor and it sees full tps voltage which is a five volt signal but i see about 4.7 4.8 whatever that's moot so it's interp- and then once it sees that and crank it does not pulse the injectors so i know from when i clean the the throttle body that i have enough carburetor cleaner throttle like throttle body cleaner laying in the plenum that she's gonna start and she's gonna flood so i go into clear flood mode and then I go into that and you know it's always it, it, it's always spooky <laughs> with these new cars for the simple reason being is that if you weren't aware of this when you turn the ignition key from run to crank you are actually telling the ECM PCM whatever you called to send a signal to the starter to crank so what'll happen is that if you go whereas in a traditional engine you could do that and you could go crank and you could release the key so it would go from crank to run and the engine would stop cranking well these things and this is say the past 10 or 15 18 years i mean they at least the past 10 years that it's what they call discrete signal going to the starter and it's telling the starter to crank so now i don't like to crank too long because number one is that you don't want to overheat the starter and then you have years ago i don't know what these newer starters you had the you had the potential i mean you'd have to crank the heck out of it but to actually would break the nose off the starter that the the bendix would come flying out and and uh And it would break the nose off the starter with extended crank. So, but it's it's not good to crank too much. So I I maybe have a seven or eight crank second cranking threshold mentally. I don't sit there with a stopwatch. But I go no 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 no. If it doesn't, if I flood it like this, and I stop and let the starter cool off for a second or two, and start again, try it again. But anyway, but on these new cars, if you don't, if you didn't, if you don't know it, then try it. You release the key from crank to run. This thing keeps cranking because the starter still sees the discrete signal that, or the ECU sending the starter the discrete signal to keep cranking because you want it to run. You have to take the key and turn it all the way off. You can't go like an older engine and just release it from crank to run, it's spring loaded to come back, because this thing will keep cranking. That's why I said that always spooks me out because here it is that I, that I turn the key back and this thing is still cranking, because it's cranking, because it doesn't care, it knows I want it to start it, and that's basically it, so you have to turn the key one more click to shut it off, to negate the whole thing, so anyway, so, but this is, you know, old hat, I mean, whatever, I had the car 200,000 miles, so, you know, it starts, and because it's got, it's got all, look, the the carburetor ready and it's done, I rev it up, it starts to clear out, and uh so what I do then is I take it for a ride. I always like to road test everything, no matter what. Even if I change oil, I take it for a ride. I don't take it to Oklahoma, but I have a little test route. I go into town by the M&M factory. It's about 2.5 miles, and I climb the hill 2.5 miles back. So anything I do, I rotate the tires, do whatever. All right, I always take it for a ride. I always want to quality check what I did. And you say, well, you know, you're a mechanic. What's going to happen when you rotate the tires? Well, when you work on enough stuff, you'd be surprised what, would, you know, what could happen right one in a million shot could happen so so i i take it you know go down the cat farm road and it bucks a little bit which is the normal routine because what happens is that the manifold it's a plastic manifold it has uh i've it it holds some of the carburetor cleaner in there in liquid form. So what you really need to do, and, and most engines today do this. This is not something that's particular to a fiesta. So because of a long runner manifold and they they, they bend the runners over to make torque, so give it run light, is that you're always gonna have you know it's like trying to drain pipes in the house. I mean you're always gonna have some water hanging up someplace. So there's always gonna be some liquid carburetor cleaner hanging up, so a throttle body cleaner hanging up someplace, and what you really need to do is get the velocity up through the manifold to 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 pull it through to, to to uh yeah you're pulling it through to push it through push it through push it or pull, pull it through into the engines really being pull, pushed and pulled right so um uh, and then burn it up so and what you'll find is that you go to, in this particular manifold design i'll get that to the end of cat swamp road on the farm there and stop sign and go out into 517 and stop and usually by the time i get to the end of catswamp road which is the end of our property also just so happens to be uh is that uh on the corner there usually the idol is fine and everything is fine and then i get out at the 517 and then i'll roll it out and then i'll probably let it go first to second and then maybe second to third and then i'll whack it all right, and the reason why I do that is I want to get some RPM. I want to get some road speed up, and I want to whack it. So I want that downshift. I want that. I want that th- three to two downshift or four to two downshift. Usually it's a three to two because I want to hit that manifold and I want that RPM to really to really climb and run it up to the red line. So uh, and then let it shift, and this way I will in a few seconds I will purge all of the carburetor cleaner out of the the manifold and then i release the throttle and you know whatever go to town turn around come back it'll be 100 percent fine well this time i went to go do it and i you know did my routine it was fine did my you know three two downshift or three one downshift and i whacked it and the thing you know took off and started to buck which is not not unusual but buck a little bit more than usual all right and then Boom! All of a sudden, the service engine soon light, like, which is only a picture of an engine, <clears throat> doesn't say service engine soon. A little picture of an engine is that never has gone on in that car. None of my cars have I ever put a service engine soon light, like, a code in. My my uh, folk, yeah, uh, you know, what was it? An escort. Almost $50,0 000 ones never put a code in it. Never had the service other than the bulb check. Never saw it. my wife's Escape. Never saw it. Her ZX two. Never saw it. My Ranger. Never saw it. Um. Whatever. So, never saw a surf- my my the cars I had for my falls Never saw a service engine soon light come on. So the thing is flashing to me, right? So I said, and when you have a service engine soon light flash on an OBD two car, a OBD two engine, that means that the the fault that it's seeing is has the potential to damage the catalytic converter. And I've said this before the whole OBD2 platform is meant upon protecting the catalytic converter. That is it. Nothing more than that. Protect the catalytic converter. So I said all right so I'll, I said well, let me pull you know let me pull over in this ridge lane and I'll go go up there it's quiet and I'll you know I'll shut it off and let it let it reset. So I go up, so I do that. I start to climb the hill. You would tend, and it's, and the reason why I'm telling you all this is, like I said, it has intrinsic value, is that it? the engine sounded so terrible <clears throat> that you would think that it, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> that it had a uh, exhaust leak on it, and I mean, it, it just, it's, it's, it's a hole in a piston. It sounded terrible. <laughs> i said what the heck is this? this is crazy so i said i can't believe and what it what it obviously did was that i wasn't able to confirm it what it obviously did was set a misfire code and that's why uh probably multiple cylinder misfires because of the of the the uh, uh carburetor cleaner in there and then it went into this default strategy and the check engine lights flash and blah, blah, blah. blah. So I go over to pull, it's a, out in the country, I pull over on the side on the shoulder. I said, let me shut it off, wait wait, 30 seconds. So I count up to 30, turn the key back on, Prime my fuel pump, start a, boom, runs like a baby. No surface engine, soon light, it runs beautiful. So I said, well, let me, let me get back to the farm. Let me use my, I have a little cheap little scanner. <clears throat> Um, I'm just going to get a drink of water because my throat's going... Hold on. Thank you. Uh, So, I I just have this cheap little code reader. It gives you some data. (laughs) At the time, I don't think it's right. But anyway... Some company sent it to me years ago. So you must say, "Well, you're a hot rod farmer. You tell us all to buy equipment. Why don't you have a better scanner than that?" Well, I don't have a better scanner than that for the simple reason being is that I never needed one, and I have two wonderful friends that have fifteen thousand dollar, twelve thousand dollar new scanners that allow me to use it if I were to ever need it, but I've never needed it. So uh my friend roy and my friend kurt have of the art diagnostic equipment and i have i'm blessed to have them as friends and carte blanche you need something come over here but i honestly never needed it so so this little mickey mouse code reader i had did not said it said there was no code set but it flashed long enough that it has and there's all different hierarchies in those codes which is crazy i mean the government makes them do that so the take-home message here is that it's very it was eye-opening to me how poorly that car that engine ran when it set that code and how it sounded not only how poorly it it almost sounded like the valve timing was off like it was pushing like it was like, like like it's like it had a hole in a piston i knew it didn't have a hole in the piston all right because i didn't you know i didn't uh, do anything to make a hole in the piston but i went to go climb that hill and it, it sounded it sound like it had a hole like it sounded like it had a hole in the piston like it was pushing like it was pushing back up through the throttle body and then you shut it off wait 30 seconds restart it runs like it just came from the factory so the take-home message here is that if you have an issue that comes up like that then what you want to basically do is always shut it off. If you have the ability to drop the code out, drop the code out, and then go from there and restart and see. I On the road, I didn't have the ability to drop the code, and my little Mickey Mouse thing said there was no code when I got back to the farm, but just the recycling the key and let it recy- reset itself. Now, what happens is that, just for your own edification, before I move past this, is that uh, the government... <laughs> might sound like i'm a conspiracist but probably am i don't i tell, sadly today i don't think it's a conspiracy theory i think it's a truth but the government makes them the government makes them do that and um and the epa whatever makes them do that so in other words when it's when a vehicle an engine sets a certain code whether it's a a code on a diesel on a tf on t4 diesel or on an obd2 which is everything since 1996 is that they in, intentionally make this car run so poor this engine runs so poorly so that you are forced to get it fixed or looked at and what really and you know take home message here for me was that i was shocked how aggressively they made this engine run so poor that's even a proper sentence i mean i've had it where you know over my years working it's it's got a little bit of a high idle or unstable idle or it's not locking up the converter but this thing ran like it had a hole in a piston all right only so so keep in mind that if something like this happens if you have the ability to shut the engine off all right let it sit 30 40 50 seconds 60 seconds this is all right and it doesn't have to sit for three hours if you have the ability to read a code dump the code out and let it rethink itself because you could have it's it's actually programmed to run poorly when it sees certain conditions and obviously it this had enough misfires from the few, from the carburetor cleaner in the manifold that it went into this extreme situation and like i said the engine actually sounded like it had a i mean it has variable cam timing maybe it kept the valves open i have no idea cuz that it had no power and it was well, min. i shouldn't say it had no power it had a big drop in power and it sounded like an engine sounds when you have a burnt intake valve and you're pushing back through the through the carburetor or the throttle body i said this is crazy so that is something for you to keep in mind all right that i was very surprised how aggressive it made that um it it, it made that uh how poorly it made it run had such aggressive stance to it next thing all right is that like I said, this is just you know whatever just different you know like christopher columbus coming back and telling you the world isn't flat so uh then I say, okay, fine. I have a Briggs & Stratton, if you've listened to my show, Briggs & Stratton backup, well, they call it a portable generator. It's not a backup generator. It's Elite 8000, and it is a, uh, a 8,000 watts constant, 10,000 watts on the surge. And uh, so I always exercise it. And the thing basically is is that when you exercise it, now, <clears> though, <throat> They're not generators, they're alternators. Yes, they generate electricity so they could fall under the guise of being called a generator. But from the automotive sense and the machinery sense, a generator produced DC current and an alternator produces AC current. And since a a building, a house, line voltages AC that the actual they call think they call it a power head is an alternator it's an alternator almost like a car alternator all right but the car alternator is loaded with diodes to chop the signal and make the the sine wave into into a um, into an analog signal to make it to make a DC whereas I don't believe that that, that, that chopping anything is using a diode to clean something up, but whatever. I'm not that intimate with it. But the thing is that when you run an alternator like that, it's imperative, you know, you have to exercise the generator, but you have to realize that the exercise is meant for the motor, and to a certain extent, but to a much lesser extent, it's meant for the generator itself, but it's really meant for the engine, to keep the engine running, the carburetor, everything running. All right. So the fact of the matter is I, I've been I usually like to exercise it every two months or so. And and I haven't exercised this probably since February. And uh and sincerely the reason why I didn't exercise it and was that because Donald never liked it running he was afraid of it uh and I was always in in my subconscious I didn't want to have it running in the driveway and by God's grace he happens to come home that day and he's afraid to come to the house because the generator is running so that's why I haven't exercised it so you figure it's it's July so I haven't exercised it since probably february so that's what two it's that's oh that, that's six months seven months right so seven months which i've never done before so i pull it out of the garage i wash it i wax it i always wash it wax it stays in the garage i keep it on the battery tender it has an into it has an electric start and a rope start and bring it out in the garage thing starts right up i mean you turn the key you pull it, boom i don't think the crankshaft turn 360 degrees and the thing doesn't miss a beat runs great and what i do is i have a and i did a show on this and i have a little voltage frequency meter that i keep plugged into uh the socket in the kitchen and i bought that so i can monitor monitor the line voltage in the house and the frequency the hertz of the line voltage and i did that specifically when i bought the gen set is the generator is because i wanted to confirm what i had coming in from jcpnl versus what i'm going to come and i did a show about this about uh um about having a clean signal total harmonic distortion from the generator and what have you so I said, well, I have to see what the what the power company is sending me, so I keep this plugged in, in the kitchen. It's small, and I, I, am like on as I said, yeah, I don't stay in there and stare at it all day long. But if I go over to the sink, I look at it. Get up in the morning, I look at it, right? And it flashes back and forth between line voltage hertz, line voltage hertz. So it it dithers back and forth, cycles digital display, very very nice. It's about sixty bucks so anyway and there's actually some there's a company called kilowatt which is actually a different type does the same thing but it actually measures you could plug let's say you could plug your refrigerator into the kilowatt meter and you'd have to and you could read hertz and you could read voltage but it also tells you how many kilowatts that that unit is consuming and i would i would love to i want to get one of those i'd actually like to have a kilowatt meter on everything that i have in the house my wife would drive me would go nuts if i did that because the whole house would be instrumented all right but the fact of the matter is that it's a great indicator because you say man this washing machine always you know pulled whatever uh which remember it's, vol- it's 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 Ohm's law, volts times amps. So you know, always pulled you know twelve hundred watts, uh, and you know, it would be about ten amps on one hundred twenty volts. So ten times twelve uh, times. So the thing is that, uh, well, ten times one hundred twenty, not times twelve. So nice. Now it's pulling fourteen hundred watts, or it's pulling this, or so or it's pulling, uh, it's pulling 800 watts, and you say, well, geez, well, this washing machine we have now is direct drive. So, I mean, but if, let's say if it had a belt, maybe the belt's starting to slip, and that's why it's pulling 800 watts. So, you know, whenever you could get numbers attached to something that are easy, that you don't have to go and break into a circuit or put a fuel pressure gauge on there or a hydraulic, whatever it is, whatever it is with machinery or uh, and electronics, is that if you could get numbers ex- that are easily accessible to you, that you could look at it without going through a lot of trouble then you will find a lot of value in that if you look at it and pay attention to it so um and but you know that's i'm weird that way and i love all that stuff i like to be in tune with everything and uh be intimate with it and be very comfortable with it so what i do is whenever i run my generator my I, I always Run at night, and you have to run when you do exercise on a generator. You're supposed to put a load on it, because if you don't put a load on it, and you're supposed to put a load of some some of some substance. And some you know some organizations say 50 percent of its potential wattage. So I was supposed to put four thousand watts, but. In, in practical sense, if you put a good load, so I use either a heat gun or electric space heater, which is 1,500 watts. So if it's 1,500 watts and I'm putting out 120 volts, so it's probably 12 and a half amps, not quite 13 amps using Ohm's law. So that's a good load. I mean, you don't want to put a transistor radio on it. That's not enough of a load or a 100-watt light bulb. So you want to have something of substance. So I always put the load on it and run it with the load. I would say the generator only has 36 hours on it, and I would probably, out of the 36 hours, only 12 hours collectively were, let's say maybe half, all right, 15, 16 hours were with running the house because the power was out. The rest of it was exercise, and when I got it, I did a burn-in. And if you're not familiar with a burn-in with electronics, and what a burn-in with electronics is that um, when electronics are new, it could be—I don't care whose it is, or what it is—doesn't it be a generator, it could be a cog, or be a TV set? But that better electronics we used to do this with the oscilloscopes, and they'll they'll do this with avionics and with biomedical equipment and mill, mill stuff and whatever. Is that they'll take the brand new unit and they'll run it for so many hours and they'll have it based upon the circuitry, the stuff that's on it. They'll have a test protocol and they may say, okay, we're going to run it for... 12 hours straight and then we're going to shut it off and then the next half every 15 minutes we're going to turn it on and we'll let it run for 15 minutes shut off so they come up with a test protocol when i work for Allen test products the oscilloscope manufacturer we used to and they call that a burn-in not really a running a burn-in and you we used to burn in all of our scopes and emissions analyzers unbeknownst to the customer all right, and what we mean by that, they would still have the plastic wrap on it. You wouldn't if the if the wires came, you know, the the the, the, the wall socket, the power came zip tied with a plastic big. We had extension cord, so the thing looked brand new. It was brand new. We didn't see any emissions, didn't see anything. But you want to you wanna burn in the electronics because electronics will have a tendency, if they're gonna fail, they'll usually fail. Through the burning period, or shortly after whatever, uh, when it's new. So you're know, the in the industry, we know with electronics that if you know if it makes it past a hundred hours or something, it'll probably last. 10,000 hours if it doesn't make it to 100 hours if it's something is if, if something is weakened it's not necessarily bad but i've done shows on this before all right the thing is if something is weak in electric in electronics electronics meaning as a circuit board versus electrical meaning a a a, a, uh, a what do you call it the light bulb all right or electric motor is that it'll usually fail early in its life So, what happened is when I got the generator, I said to Charlotte, not only do I want to break the engine and dump it, but I want to burn in the electronics. I want to burn it in. Uh, And the only electronics it should have is a voltage regulator. They call it an AVR, an automatic voltage regulator. So, I'm laughing because you'll see as this story progresses. So what happened is that, so out of that 36 hours, probably 18 hours of exercise, and I think I did a, a 10 or 11 hour burn-in. It wasn't all in one shot. Uh, I didn't sit there for 12, 11 hours but I wanted to get 10 or 11 hours on the unit and I wanted to burn it in so I would feel that if the power went out that I know because you remember even the engine has electronic ignition modules so you're burning that in also but I was more concerned with the power generation side of it and then we do the exercise with the load so anyway so I went through my protocol did everything and I go and I take my meter and I get my heat gun out and I get my meter and I plug it in and start it up I put it in there. And then lo and behold, my voltage is low. I said, my voltage is low. How the hell can this be? Pardon my language. I said, is it my meter? Is it my is it is it my little thing I took out of the kitchen? Is that be-? So it it would this would usually put out no load about 121, 122 volts and jumping between like 59 and 60 and a half hertz so right there at 60 hertz perfect right and then with the 1500 watt load which is about 10 12 13 amps which is not a lot but it's a good load i mean it's a good load for an exercise there's no denying that i mean nobody would argue with that is that you, you'd see maybe the voltage stabilize a little bit more around the 118 119 120 and the hertz tighten up slightly but it was always right on the money so i'm putting this thing i'm putting it in, and i'm seeing well i got 108 volts 109 volts 110 volts 58 hertz what have you i said this is crazy so there's four under 20 volt outlets and then there's the plug for the 220 so i said well let me get my voltmeter, all right because i want to uh you know, checking maybe my my little meter is bad, right? I how, I'm from no the kitchen. I don't know how I know. So you know, so I my volt meter doesn't read hertz, but it reads voltage. So it, so it it confirmed that. So then I did is I put the heat gun in one plug, and I put the the instrument in the other plug, the one from that I use in the kitchen, so I could see hertz and the heat gun fires up, it doesn't seem that hot, I'm looking, and the voltage is ramping down, so when I first plug it in, and it has no load, it's around 116, 117, which is four or five volts lower than normal, and then I put the heat gun on, the heat gun starts running for 30 seconds, Then I can see the voltage cascading down, and then when it gets to be around 98 volts, that meter goes blank, and it goes, bzzz, it gives you a buzz that the voltage is too low. So, I've always wanted to get a shop manual for this thing and I couldn't find a shop manual any place. All right, so and it always haunted me that I didn't have a shop manual and I'm applying mechanical sense, engineering sense but no empirical data. I mean, Leo, you know, how does this, you know, what is this wired? Where is this wire? Do I have no schematic or anything? So what happened is i you know did some did a little bit of research and at this particular point I mean, you don't have a shop manual youtube is your only is your only resource and like i said i'm not saying it's bad and there's a couple of people out there uh, that do some you know have some stuff i guess that's decent but so i learned that it does have an automatic voltage regulator and it has brushes just like it actually looks like a copied an old deck delco brush holder all right. It looks like a combination of a Ford and Delco brush holder for the brushes. But anyway, based upon what I saw on YouTube, and uh, and so what? So supposedly this automatic voltage regulator has a potentiometer on the back that you could adjust. So you know, that kind of that to me, that's kind of like, if you're going to do circuitry, you don't really don't need a potentiometer to adjust it. I mean, I don't know how much range the potentiometer has. So, but I, I don't know. So that kind of like, okay, fine. And then, so I took, I never took the end cap off the, the they call it a power head to make sure there's not nothing in that thing. Looks beautiful inside. I mean, gorgeous. I mean, it looks like looks like it never had. And I'm so anal that when I run it. And when I would run the house and the power side, I would use my infrared gun, and I'd monitor the temperature of the engine oil. I'd monitor the temperature of the powerhead. I'd monitor everything. So the other thing is nice and cool. It's about 10 or 20 degrees. The powerhead's 10 or 20 degrees, 30 degrees higher then ambient temperature, right? So if it's 40 degrees out, the power head is 60, 70. If it's 20 degrees out, the power head is 40. If it's 90 degrees out, the power head is 110 or so. So right there, it's about plus 20 over ambient temperature, plus 25. So I know the sucker isn't being strained. So anyway, to make a long story short, this thing is not putting, it's putting out power, but it's not putting out the full power. So Try to do some research. Try to go to Briggs and Stratton. What an exercise in frustration! Not just Briggs and Stratton. So I try to call up, a, call up a couple of people, and uh, so I said, "Can I buy a shop manual for this thing?" Because to me, you know, we had a great sense of security, and my wife had a wonderful sense of security, and it was the good Lord blessed us with this generator. Because you know, anybody who lives out in the country, you lose, you have no well. You have obviously no heat in the winter. It's not the problem now. And, you know, you lose your refrigerator. You lose everything. I mean, it's it's dark out in the country. I mean, so it's not like there's a street light, like you live in town and you say, okay, you can't you gotta walk around with a flashlight in the house. I mean, so, but specifically, I mean, this time of year, I'm not worried about the heat. I'm worried about the refrigerator and the water. So, uh... I mean, you'd be six or seven days without the water, you know, of course, you have a well. It's not. I mean, it's not the end of the world. People endure so much more than that. But it's certainly not, not, you know, something that you look forward to. And the idea that we've had the generator when the power goes out, the way it's set up with the transfer switch, I have manu- I literally powered a house up in five minutes. The generator's right in the garage, the transfer switch is in the garage, plug it in there, boom! Don't worry, honey, lights will be on in five minutes. So, uh, you know, this... this it's like an ambulance or a spit that doesn't run, or a spare tire that has no air. So I wanted, I want to get this fixed as soon as possible because I want to restore that sense of security back to my wife, because she was very, very comfortable. She so we said to me, "Oh, I feel so com," glad we bought that generator and everything, because I feel so comfortable if the power goes, because we lose the power quite a bit over here where well, we did the past couple of years. So i'm trying to do some research trying to do everything and it seems that nobody i'm not going to say that no one knows anything they have a lot of empirical data Um uh, they don't have a lot of theoretical data some people are better than others i did a, find a couple of good good videos or decent videos on some aspects of it but it did show me you know inside before i took mine apart to see what's going on but anyway so and then it's saying that sometimes, you know, if anybody had an old generator, an old degenerator on an old farm tractor, you had to you had to polarize the generator, that you have to arc it, that, uh, when you put it otherwise, lots of times it won't charge. So I I knew that why you don't want I knew that why you don't want to run an alternator without a load on it of some substance of some consequences that over time you will diminish the magnetic field. And as you diminish the magnetic field, the output of the generator will drop down and eventually go to nothing. So there'd be nothing wrong with it, but it, it dissipated the magnetic field from. the... I would assume it's from the rotor, not the stator, but I may be wrong in this particular instance. So some people are saying, well, you got to re-arc it, you got to re-energize the field, and you you take the, you disconnect the the um, where the brushes are and you hook up 12 volts to it and you start the generator you have the, the cap off the off the power unit and you hit it for 12 volts there and it's supposed to wake it back up but what nobody, uh, what nobody could explain to me is that why, where does that residual where does that charge go? I mean, I would assume there's either a diode or a capacitor in there so I don't know enough about it I gotta learn more about it so anyway, I said to myself I think it's the AVR. Now, what happened to the AVR? Who the heck knows? All right, but the idea that it's got a potentiometer, maybe the potentiometer, you know, is not that tight and it vibrated, so who knows? But anyway, but I finally found a good guy. And I found a good guy, and he's about 20 miles away. I wouldn't know him if I saw him. The guy was fantastic. He was old school. He wasn't overly knowledgeable, which he admitted to as far as the electrical part of it but he knew much more than i did and he admitted that but he is a briggs and stratton dealer and he is getting me a shop manual. He says, i could get he said he said to me look i could look online they have a digital manual i could look it up for you i could tell you what i said because i'm a mechanic i said "But i have no specs i don't know what the windings are supposed to be i would know if it's shorted to ground all right, or if it's open, all right, but I don't know, is it supposed to be 27 ohms, or supposed to be two, I have no idea, I have no, no nothing here, it's like, you know, what's the float level supposed to be in the carburetor, I mean, give me the float, tell me the spec, I could adjust it. So, he said, I could get you the specs and everything, so I said, I would like to, I can, he says, can he he said, well, maybe you go to Briggs and Stratton, you get by the manual, so I said, I went there, I said, it was excess, I said, I wasted more time with this thing, I said, I got, you know, I'm a farmer, I got stuff to do. I just want to make this thing go away and charge. So we have, in case the power goes out, and so my wife feels secure. So he said, "Let me look up the specs for you." So he gives me the specs. He says, in his let me. He says, let me see if I could order your manual." He says, "I'll call you back in ten minutes." And the guy did all that. Fantastic, fantastic. I mean, old school guy. So he ordered me manual. He said, it's seventy two dollars for the manual. He says, "I could send you a link. You could download a PDF." I said. I said, I don't want it. I said, thank you so much. I, I honor and respect that, but I'm not going to take a PDF with me in, into, into the garage to work on. I want to, oh, I'm old school, I want to book. I said, order a book for $72, I'll come pick it up, right? So he says, I'll give you the specs for the manual, I'll give you the specs, and you can start to check the stator and what have you. So I said, yeah, I should be able to go through the outlets for that. He says, yeah, you can go through the outlets first, and he says, if you have an issue, then you have to go inside and check it. I said, I oh, just like an alternator. So I used to do all my old alternator work, and it's an alternator, right? So, so, so he gave me the specs, but the, the take home message here, is that I used to have a beautiful fluke beautiful fluke digital voltometer. And when I had my shop, my guys robbed me. I mean, the customers robbed me and had two employees that robbed me blind. They robbed me of Wysco pistons, of Oliver billet connecting rods, torque wrenches, tools, money out of the money out of the cash box. I had four employees two of them were golden and two of them robbed me blind all right and i had customers i had this one customer with a mustang i don't know how the hell the guy did it uh, every time he left the shop he walked out with something i mean the guy would be there and then i uh, come. Where the, where, you know, where's the talk right so anyway so somebody robbed my beautiful fluke meter so I already had gotten out of the business. I said, I'm not going to spend six, seven, eight hundred dollars for a beautiful that probably was a three hundred dollar meter years ago. It's probably a nine would be a nine hundred dollar meter now. I said, I'm not going to spend eight, nine hundred dollars for a meter for something like because I how often am I going to use it? I'm check some voltage, check some resistance. I said, if I really needed something much better than that, which I never did since I've closed my shop, thank God, is that uh, I can borrow it from good friends. I'm blessed with good friends, like I said. I just hey, can I borrow your you borrow your fluke meter or whatever for ten minutes. So, right, so I got the resistance values for the windings. But the take home message here before I close is that you know whenever and if you you probably know this, but if you don't know it. Now when you're reading resistance with an ohm meter, or an ohm meter has no continuity to it. So it doesn't make any difference which which way the wires are. And when you're using an ohm meter, the circuit needs to be unpowered. But when I studied electronic electrical engineering in college, we used to use the Simpson 260, which is a fantastic I still have an old Simpson 260, which is a fantastic meter. And the old analog meters, you would zero the meter so if you were going to take an ohms reading or anything and had a knob on it even a voltage reading you would you would zero it on the zero volt scale and then you would take your reading and if you were going to take an ohms reading you would connect the positive and negative lead together and then you would take it and you would zero the meter and then you would take your ohms reading well the one winding i think i have it written down here is supposed to be uh i think a point Point um, uh, point two six ohms on the generator, point two six to points whatever. I may I don't have in front of me. Point eight. Now, if you're reading something, let's say like an ignition coil that's ten thousand ohms or five thousand ohms, if as long as the meter is not skewed, a thousand ohms, then you're fine. But these, this cheapo digital voltmeter I have, there's no way for it to to zero. So if you have that type of meter, or whenever you use an ohm meter, what you and you're reading a minute minute resistance. You're not reading 500 ohms or 1,000 ohms or 50 ohms. You're reading 0.26 to 0.72 ohms, or a quarter of an ohm to three quarters of an ohm. And you you better if you can zero that meter. You need to put those leads together and let the digital meter stabilize and the slow and the less expensive the meter is the slower it's going to take for that circuitry to stabilize and then you need to get a reading from it so my particular meter was 0.8 ohms so 8 tenths of an ohm all right with the leads together so that means whatever reading that I had I would have to I'm already starting at 0.8 so, I would have to say, okay, it's at 0.8. All right. And if I have, and I put the resistance on, so let's say one ohm for easy arithmetic. All right. So I don't mess up the math in my head, the decimals while I'm talking. Is that if I have, a, so if it's at one ohm with the, with the with, and I'm looking for a 0.56 on my windings on my generator, then the thing is that, i would have to add 0.56 to one so 1.56 on my meter would be 0.56 and i would know my windings are good so the take-home messages here is that you always need to check your meter and what you should really do even put it on volts on like dc volts and when you're taking voltage and put the put the leads together and see what it reads but if you're reading a lot of voltage, if you're reading a lot of resistance, it's not going to make that much of a difference because it's not going to skew that much. But if you're trying to read a quarter of an ohm and you're coming up to, let's say you're checking a resistor and it says it's 2.3 ohms and your meter is, is, is skewing 0.8, well, you're going to condemn or not condemn that, res, that part because of, the, of, because of that. So keep that in mind. All right, so what I did was that I did that, and I saw, based upon this, my wine, so I think it's the AVR, so I ordered a new AVR, I don't like throwing parts at anything, but I hope, <coughs> excuse me, but until I get the shop manager, let me order an AVR, I was able to get it from Briggs & Stratton, it was $56, and the thing is that, and then I'm going to take it apart now and I'm going to see if my AVR has a pot on it, a potentiometer. I'm going to try to adjust that AVR and see what the voltage is. All right. If that doesn't work, I'm going to reflash the field with the 12 volts. I don't know. But then I'm going to, but this is going to haunt me for the rest of my life. Where did my charge, where did my magnetism go when I always, always ran this with a 10 or 12 amp load on it? right so i'm going to do that and then i order and the good thing about it is that i nobody had the avr so i go to briggs and oh three weeks this that who knows with back order baba blah, blah, supply chain all this malarkey and then so i end up at briggs and stratton's website i ordered it all right well i i'm doing a show on saturday i ordered it friday about lunchtime yeah so a day ago, right i ordered they had it I got the thing today from Ohio, which is crazy for ten dollars worth of shipping. So I got sixty-three dollars into this AVR, took it out of the box. Original Briggs and Stratton pot made in China. Thank you. Right? They don't say China, it says made in C capital, C capital, N. it ain't Canada. Right. So uh or the Caribbean. So made in China and it does have a adjustable pot on it. So I'm sure the one that's in my unit has adjustable pot. And then when I get done with this podcast, I'm going to go out and look at my generator. So the take-home message here before we close i'm not going to get to the letter that i had about air conditioning because i went way too long on this show is number one is that if you're doing something and you you're cleaning throttle plates you're cleaning this you're cleaning egr circuit you start the engine back up it's obd2 or i'm sure or it's a diesel Tier 4 goes into a default code all right erase the code or shut the key off first start and see what happens and just remember that those codes those strategies they evoke a strategy to make it run like a bag of bolts when certain codes are set and because you falsely not falsely you, you kind of induced that code by the service proceeds you did don't go nuts all right it's probably nothing is probably wrong with it I just saw that and says i don't like this and i'm going to make this thing run like a bag of bolts All right, so that's the second thing. The first thing, the second thing I want to tell you, it's a world of difference when you get the right person on the telephone in life. All right, and a a world, world, world of difference. All right, I called all around. The people I spoke to for the most part knew less than I did about this generator. I'm saying it respectfully. Nobody wanted to be helpful. Nobody knew anything, Uh, just the typical world today. And my sincere hope is that that the people that interact with me that i am more helpful for to them than than anybody is when you go out in the world that i hope that that's my sincere hope that i could bring glory to god by helping people with the blessing of whatever knowledge that he has gifted me and that's not from me it's from the lord all right so the right person makes a big difference briggs and stratton told me i couldn't get a manual well uh briggs and stratton generated deals to this guy working out of his little garage said i could get the manual for you let me look i'll call you back at it's 72 dollars. i'll have it next week you want to sure you don't want me to get a, the digital one you could i said no, no no all right beautiful all right when you don't try to diagnose something without specifications all right I mean, if you're stuck on the side of the road, you're stuck in the field, you got to do the best you can. There's certain things that you would know. Is it, you know, hey, if it's open, it's open. If it's shorted, it's shorted. All right, but don't try to guess at a specification. And it's amazing how so many different specifications are on these stupid generators as far as these power heads are concerned. And they all basically, basically look the same, you know, look the same. And the other thing is that if something does have uh, so the next message for you is: if you do have a some sort of backup generator, or if you have a standby generator, make sure when you run it and you do your exercise, not only are you exercising the engine, but you run it with a load on it. All right, you run it with a load, and and you should invest if you have a backup generator. Invest in the kilowatt. They're like thirty dollars. a little meter I had is like sixty dollars you know monitor your line voltage monitor your hertz when you're running that generator because if i didn't do that if i just plugged the heat gun the heat gun the heat gun fired and ran and ran i didn't think it was as hot as it would have been just this empirically by putting my hand in front of it but you would think you would have thought that there was nothing wrong All right, the engine fired up beautifully, didn't miss a beat, the heat gun is, or the light bulb is lighting, everything is good. And we need to be able to look at this equipment, whether it's your farm equipment, whether it's your vehicles, whether it's your backup power supply or power source, whatever it is, we have to look at it at the next level. All right, at the next level. So those are the take-home messages, and we get to know your meter. All right, whether it could zero or not zero, if it could zero by itself when you put the leads together, fine. If not, and if you're reading a very low voltage or very low resistance or amperage, you better take that error into consideration. Otherwise, your whole diagnostics are skewed and they're wrong. All right, if you're reading 10,000 ohms, and if it's off by 10, who cares? All right, if it's off by 100, it's ten thousand three hundred 300, instead of 10,000. Because if you start to look at specifications, once the numbers get that big, even if it's five plus or minus 5%, you're talking 50 or 500 ohms. It doesn't make any difference, all right? But when you're looking at low voltage, you're looking at low resistance, and you're looking at low amperage. The calibration of that meter is imperative for you to get accurate results. So I'm gonna work on my backup generator, my my, my generator, and uh, I would love to be able to go to school for some of this stuff, all right? So I gotta try to find some school for it, you know, because I don't wanna stumble my way through this. But if it did lose its charge, its magnetism, then to me, that's an indicator of something else going on. I can't believe that it would lose its charge over a couple of months, but who knows? And a couple of people I spoke to, well, some of them lose their charge, some don't. On something that is not that complicated, then there's a reason why that's happening. But I tend to think that the pot on the AVR vibrated and changed, and that's what the problem is. So I'm going to try to adjust that. And I'll let you know next week. But I want to thank you so much for listening. And I went long and I apologize, but know that the Hot Rod farmer's poem born for you, the American farmer and rancher. And if anybody out there has any experience with these gem sets, all right, then please let me know and share your knowledge with me. Have a blessed day. Bye bye.